momentous week, holy week, because I wanted to take a look at what are the greatest achievements ever performed in human history. And of course, to go to get such information, you must go to the internet because everything is true on the internet. And so as I looked, uh, this was the, seemed to be the consensus list. Uh, number one, going to the moon. The greatest human achievement was uh, humanity or uh, through this country, marshalling their resources and, and leaving the surly bonds of earth and reaching the moon. Uh, number two, the development of electronic devices, uh, such as uh, various game players. No, no, the silicon chip, uh, the ability to take information and usher in the information age. That seems to be number two. I personally think one and two are all wrong. For me, number one would be the freezy pop. Have you ever had, like on a hot day, you know, where you need a little bit of flavor and you reach in and there it is and all of its cool goodness? The freezy pop. Number two for me would be toilet paper, okay? <laughs> Can't do that with silicon, all right? Just saying. Number three, domestication of fire. That's pretty important. Uh, number four, mastering flight, perhaps equal to the freezy pop, at least the Eskimo pie. And number five, creating writing. It goes on and on, the greatest human achievements. And even though these are all great accomplishments by mankind, the list is incomplete. Because the number one greatest human achievement occurred on this day. And it would be called conquering death. Now you might say, well, that was an act of God. Yes, but it was also an act of man. Jesus Christ was fully man and fully God. And on that day, a man had gone into the grave and he came out again. It is the greatest human achievement. Yes, it was important that we went to the moon. But whether we go to the moon again or not doesn't affect me per se, much like Ken shared. But the conquering of death affects everyone. Because the point of death is this, it's 100% fatal. And we're all 100% terminal. See, Jesus came. Jesus is the one who is the first one and the only one who can move the stone of death. And it's because of this day, Resurrection Sunday, that we can live not in the darkness of death, but in the light of the resurrection. And so as we look at this scripture, as this question comes to mind, who will move the stone? We must keep this before us, that without Christ, without the resurrection, all is lost. Everything that we do, everything that we've accomplished will ultimately come to naught, and light will turn to darkness. But if the cross is true, if mankind has conquered death, then there is a future for us all, a hope for eternity, a life beyond the grave. I want to bring up three specific points because these women, indeed all of these people, the Roman guard, Joseph of Arimathea, they came with the wrong expectations. These women, they came to remember Jesus. But Jesus does not come to be remembered. He comes to be encountered. That's the first point I want to make. Number two, Jesus did not come to be remembered. He came to be worshipped. And finally, Jesus did not come to be remembered. But Jesus came back because he remembered us. Well, let's begin with my first point. Jesus came not to be remembered, but to be encountered. 
It is the third day. And we keep days different. If you remember, Jesus was crucified on Friday. But Friday actually ended around 6 p.m. The Jews keep their days from 6 to 6 as opposed to midnight to midnight like us. So as Jesus was put into the grave on Friday, the first day, a couple hours later it became Saturday. And then at 6 o'clock the next day it became Sunday. And so it's 12 hours into the third day when the sun rises and these women come to the grave. There's no question that Jesus Christ lived an extraordinary life. But Jesus has also died an extraordinary death. If you remember Jesus' last words where he spoke from the cross, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. There was a series of events. There was a solar eclipse as the land became dark. There was a giant earthquake throughout the land. And in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, this giant curtain in the most sacred of places was ripped in two. It was so cataclysmic that the centurion who watched what was taking place praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. It was an extraordinary death. It was also a very public death. Christ was made a spectacle of as he walked up the Via Dolorosa carrying his cross as all of Jerusalem came out to see during this holy week. It was public. It was not done in a quarter. It was a very brutal death. Jesus was crucified on the cross. Indeed, the very word excruciating that we have in our language comes from the cross. It means out of the cross. It was the worst way to kill a man back then. It was a brutal death and it was a certain death. When Joseph came asking for the body, Pilate was surprised to hear he was dead so early. It would sometimes take days for someone to die because ultimately you died from a crucifixion, from asphyxiation. As you were placed on the cross and dropped in the cross, your shoulders were dislocated and you would sag on the cross and it would put pressure on your uh, diaphragm. The only way to breathe would be to push up on your nail-pierced hands and feet. But Jesus had already been flogged. He had already been beaten. He had already lost blood. See, it would be very easy to tell if someone was dead on the cross because they would no longer push up. They would simply hang there and they would die from asphyxiation. But the Romans were experts in death and so the centurion went and breaking the other people's legs, bodies, he didn't do that with Jesus because Jesus was no longer pushing up. Rather, he pierced his side to make sure and making sure he was dead, they gave the body up. It was a very certain death and a very certain burial. Joseph of Arimathea, one of the Sanhedrin, this would be the equivalent of our United States Senate, he was a senator, asked for the body and bringing the body to his own tomb, a new tomb cut in the rock, he wrapped it with about 75 pounds of spices. Now a normal burial would be about one pound of spices. This was an astronomical amount of spices that he was wrapped in with linen and placed in a tomb cut out of the rock. And a, gro- and a great stone was rolled over the entrance of the rock. Now this was a very special tomb. In fact, over 
A thousand ancient tombs have been uh, exhumed by uh, exhumed by archaeologists, and only less than ten had a round stone. Normally, they were square stones that were sort of placed. Joseph was a very very rich man, and so this stone, this two-ton stone, was rolled in front, and a guard was actually placed. A Roman guard with sixteen different men. They were all placed to watch over this person. It was a very, very certain burial. Why am I sharing all of these things? I want you to understand the context. Because now I want to come to the witnesses. In Mark 15.40, it says that there were also women looking out from a distance. Mary of Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed and ministered to him. And there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. It's important to understand that the first witnesses of the resurrection were women. Women were central to the ministry of Jesus. Women are central to the ministry of the church. It is foolish to relegate our women to a side role in the church when they're of such central importance in uh, caring for Jesus Christ. We place great value on our women here at Redeemer Presbyterian. And so these women who had cared for Jesus were watching. And indeed at verse 47, as, uh, as Jesus was laid in the tomb, it says that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid, this prominent tomb. And then they went home to prepare spices before the Sabbath was passed. And so it's this morning, the third day, the day after the Sabbath when the women come back. And we have to ask the question, why have they come back? They've come back with spices to anoint Jesus. Yet they already know that he was anointed. They saw Joseph of Arimathea come. They wouldn't be precluded from talking with him. The death was done. The Romans weren't there yet. They knew that the stone was sealed. And these stones that were rolled across, they were rolled on an incline. They were designed to keep people out. It would probably take 20 men and levers to move that stone. And yet these women come in the face of these obstacles. And there's almost a futility to it, isn't there? Why have they come? They've come to show their love to Jesus. They've come because they don't know what else to do. It's very interesting when people die. People start doing very strange things like cleaning the house, like raking the leaves. There's a futility in some sense to it. We don't know what to do, where to go from here. They wanted to touch Jesus. They wanted to show their love for him. And so they came up against the futility of the stone, the wall, the wall of death. Jesus is on one side and they are on the other. And yet they come. Have you ever felt that wall? Have you ever lost a loved one? Someone that you cared for, you're on one side and they're the other. Maybe you're brushing up against it right now. You have a diagnosis Cancer. And you feel scraping against that wall, the wall of death. 
Maybe you're getting older and older and you sense it's coming. Death is an assassin. It doesn't care. It's cold. It's unfeeling. And so these women come up against death and the futility of it all, saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us to the entrance, from the entrance to the tomb? See, that really is the universal question of humanity, isn't it? Who will roll the stone away for us? Who will move the stone of death that contains us? We're all headed toward that tomb. How will we escape it? The world tries to come up with its answers, doesn't it? The cosmetics industry with their age-defying solutions. A $455 billion industry dedicated to making us look young. Our politics and our politicians who communicate to us, I can help to create a nirvana, a place where all is prosperous and good and there is no trouble and no evil and all will be well. Maybe psychology that teaches us to practice mindfulness, to focus on the here and now, not to think about what is past or what is to come. These are all wonderful techniques, but none can roll away the stone. They can simply delay it. That is until this day. For looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus. He is risen. He is not here. See where they laid him. And it says that they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. This word in the Greek is literally uh, as if someone is afraid of a wild animal. It's as scary as if you were put in a cage with a tiger. This is how afraid they are. And you have to ask yourself the question, why do they have this fear? I mean, Jesus predicted that he would do this. He said it again and again. Even Jesus' enemies, the Romans, knew that he said that he was going to do this. That's why they posted the guard. They were afraid because it was over. He had died. Just like the people before. The wall of death was in place and nobody comes back. See, the women had gone, come in resignation. They hadn't come in expectation. They had come to remember, but they had not come to encounter. Because every single time in history, you go in and you never come out. I don't know if you enjoy watching movies. I like watching movies, particularly adventure movies. And I'm going to give you a couple of movies here, and I want you to try to figure out what is the common thread in all of them. Mad Max, Fury Road, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Guardians of the Galaxy, Jumanji, and The Bourne Ultimatum. They all have the same common theme. You know what it is? Hmm. Stay alive. Right? 
I mean, sure, they're trying to achieve something, but at the end of the day, it's about staying alive. You know, they have these near harrowing, you know, brushes with death as they're trying to accomplish their their task. And, And it seems like they're right on the edge of death, but somehow they push through. And you know why it's stay alive? Because if they die, the movie's over. Right? What if they died like one hour in the movie? It's over. There's nothing more because when you die, you don't come back. See, those are movies. But you know, our life is kind of like that a little bit. Also, isn't it? Stay alive. I mean, we live in a very prosperous country. Nobody starves in this country. But if you go to a third world country, you see it in its starkness, right? Stay alive. Find food. Find shelter. Find clothing. Find medicine. Because when you die, it's over. You know, our version of staying alive is a little different. It's stay young. Or maybe stay rich. Because if you have money, death can't take you. Or maybe stay busy so you don't have to think about it. But in the end, we all go. Our destiny is the same. So we can't fault these women as they went to the tomb for thinking the same thing. But you see, the whole point of this is that Jesus is different. Why did you come today like the women came that day? Perhaps you came to pay respects to a great man. A man who taught like no one else taught to love your enemies. To care for the poor and the sick. A a good man. Perhaps you've come to anoint him not with spices but rather with your time. With your acknowledgement of his greatness with a check in the offering plate. But you see, if you've come to simply remember Jesus Christ, you've come to the wrong place. Because he's not in the tomb. He's risen. Jesus did not come to be remembered. He came to be encountered. Jesus Christ is alive because Jesus is life. And so to truly recognize Jesus, we must embrace the resurrection. Many of us wouldn't deny him with our words, but we deny him with our life. We don't believe Jesus has presence that we can encounter him today in as real a way as they encountered him back then. We don't believe Jesus has the power to affect circumstances in our life so we don't look to him as we manage our life. To embrace the resurrection means to embrace his promises that I will be with you, that I will never forsake you, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that I am in charge. Obey my words. See, to embrace the resurrection ultimately is to trust him. And to hear his voice, I am here. I am risen. Christ is the one that has moved the stone so that we can live not in the darkness of death, but in the light of the resurrection. Well, this brings me to my second point. Christ came not to be remembered. He came to be worshipped. See, as you look at this story, 
There's something wrong going on here. Joseph, the women, and the Romans are all in partnership with each other. They're in cahoots. Now you may be saying that's ridiculous, Carlos. No, they're not. Well, their motives might be different, but their objective is the same. They're all trying to contain Jesus, aren't they? See, the Romans are doing it because they know the danger of him getting out. So we're going to make sure that he stays in that box. Joseph, out of great love, has taken the dead Christ. But he's taken this 75 pounds of spices and he's wrapped him up, bound him, if you were, in linen. He's put him in a stone tomb designed for dead people and rolled a gigantic stone in front of it on an incline so that nobody can get to him. Joseph's motivation is to honor Jesus, to protect Jesus. Why do you think the women are coming bringing more spices? Why do they bring spices? They don't embalm like the Egyptians. The reason they brought spices is because the purpose was to let the body decompose over about a year. So the tissue would decompose and then they would go in in a year and they would gather up the bones and put them in an ossuary in a box. And so the spices is to keep away to try to stop the odor of the decomposition of the body. See, they're covering him with the spices as he decomposes because he's not moving. He's staying there forever. Why didn't they believe the promises of Jesus? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. Indeed, in Mark 9.31, he is teaching his disciples, saying, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Did they not hear that the whole point of this was Jesus Christ coming and dying so that we would not have to end up in the tomb? Not him. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to die for our sins so that we would not stay in the tomb. That is why he came. Romans 4.25 said he has been delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. See, somebody has to go into the grave and somebody has to stay. If we go into the grave, we stay. But if Jesus goes into the grave, he comes out because he is life. And so it is the greatest act of love. It is the greatest hope for humanity. But this was the message of the gospel for those people. Do you know what the women should have done? By the way, it was only the women who came. Where are the disciples? Where's the faithfulness? This should have been the best day for them. I mean, you should have brought your chair on Resurrection Sunday, right? You know, it's like a concert. You're all staring there, waiting for the stone to be moved. But nobody was there. Nobody believed. 
Because the grave is a box. And we put precious things in a box, don't we? See, in the box, Jesus is safe. To them, he was a great man, a man they loved, but he was just a man. And so to love him meant to constrain him. You know, you can love someone and seek to control them at the same time. And so they made him fit into their paradigm. Because in the box, he's safe. And we have the illusion that we're safe. But if Jesus Christ is out of the box, if he cannot be contained, we're terrified. Because he knows me. He knows everything about me. He died for me. My life is in his hands. He's the one in control. If Christ came out of that tomb, then he is God. If he holds my life in his hands, if he is the one that can free me from my sins, then I have an obligation, and that is to worship him. So much better to keep him safe and small. I don't know if you saw this story. There's been a couple of them. It's of that family in California that kept their children locked in their house. There were like 13 of them. These, these parents, and, and one of them got away uh, on Sunday authorities. This was uh, in January. A, a 17-year-old girl called police after escaping from her family's home where her 12 brothers and sisters were being held captive. And the sheriff's department got there discovering these children who were like chained to their beds with chains and padlocks. Some were so malnourished that officers at first believed all were children, even though seven are adults. When they met the 17-year-old girl, she looked like she was 10. Now, if you ask these parents who were clearly mentally deranged, they would say that they were doing the right thing. We have to take care of our kids. We need to keep them safe. But you see what they did? They kept them small. They kept them weak. Thank goodness for this girl who had the strength to go and free. The strength of women. Okay, all analogies are imperfect, aren't they? But what I'm saying is if we keep Jesus in the tomb, if we seek to keep him there, what we're really seeking to do is keep him small and keep him safe. Jesus is not safe. He's a creator of the universe. He's the one who's Lord over death. But he's good. He did not come to be remembered. He came to be worshipped. The truth of the matter is if we don't let Jesus out of the box, even though he's already out of the box, what we're going to do is we're going to live small lives. It says that Christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You're a great person, but you're not worthy of living for. Our biggest problem is our self-centeredness. And why Christ has come out of the tomb is to show us that he is Lord and Christ. And he calls us not to remember him, but to worship him. To come before him and to bow down and kneel. 
to give him our hearts, to acknowledge our smallness and his greatness so he can take our smallness and make us great. To open the tomb is to say, come into my life and make my heart your home, Jesus. Nothing can contain you, but I want you. Have you done this? Do you worship the King of Kings? Do you recognize his greatness? This brings me to my third point. That Jesus came out of that tomb not to be remembered, but because he remembered us. For some of us, it's so scary to give control of our life to someone else. How do I know that he won't do to me the same thing that every other man or woman has done? Because Jesus is not like any other man or woman. Listen to Jesus' first words through his messenger. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. It was an angel. The word angel in Hebrew, malach, means messenger. He came to bring a message. A message. He appears as a male, but angels are sexless. They're not male or female. And this messenger said to them, don't be alarmed. You're seeking Jesus. Don't be afraid. Yes, he was crucified and he is risen and he, he is not here. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, if it was me, this is the message that I would have given to send back to the disciples. Where are you? Why did you abandon me? Right? Tell them, women, why didn't you believe? Tell them that I'm done with them. I mean, these were his closest friends in a time when he needed them the most. Have you ever had people desert you when you needed them the most and they were nowhere to be found? You know, it's when the people who are closest to you desert you that the pain is the most acute. And as Jesus burst out of this grave, why wouldn't his message have been, tell them that I'm done with them. I'm moving on to somebody else. It's not what Jesus said, did he? He said, tell the disciples and Peter that I'm going before you. You're going to see me again. And when this message went back to the disciples, even then they didn't believe. It was only until they saw him that the messages must have come flooding back in their head. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I go and prepare a place for you in my father's house. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come back to take you with me where I am. Tell the disciples and Peter. I love how he still calls them his disciples. You know what a disciple means? Literally the word of disciple means follower. How good were they at following Jesus? And yet he still calls them disciples. What's he saying? He's saying you're not disqualified. You're qualified because I qualified you. See, the reality is Jesus already knew that they were going to abandon him, didn't he? 
right? You'll all fall away. Every single one of you. The reality is every single human being would fall away from Jesus. Fall away from that rock. Jesus is the only one who would never fall away. The disciples were simply being unredeemed human beings. They didn't believe in Jesus, but Jesus believed in them. See, why was Jesus so gracious to them? Oh, before that, I love this. Go tell the disciples and Peter. I used to think that what he was saying was, go tell the disciples they're still in, and Peter, meaning he's not a disciple anymore, until I, he gets his comeuppance, and then I'll let him back in. That's what I used to think. It's not that way at all. He wanted Peter to know. Because Peter's pain was the most acute. Make sure that Peter knows that I'm alive and I'm going to Galilee. Ahead of you, just as I said I would. See, why is Jesus so gracious? Because Easter and the resurrection is not about them. It's about Jesus. See, every other religion, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, is about the follower, right? Muhammad shares what you have to do, and then it's off to the races for you. You either do it or you don't. Or Hinduism or Buddhism, it's not about uh, the Messiah. There is no Easter for Islam or Buddhism or any other religion for that matter. Because Christianity is not about the follower and what they do. It's about Jesus and what he has done. That's why it's called the Lord's Day, not our day. See, that's what's wonderful about Christianity. Jesus is the king. He is the focus. He is the arbiter of salvation. And he never fails. Even when I fail time and time again, he never fails. It's his grace that binds me to him and him to me. And so I'm going, disciples, to Galilee. Why to Galilee? We're going to go back to where things started, right? You ever wish you could go back to the beginning? After all the things that you did wrong? I wish I hadn't said that. I wish that hadn't happened. Can't we just start over? Can't we just go back to the beginning? But you see, Jesus is going back to the home that they met each other and loved each other, but he's not going back to the beginning. He's going back because he's new and he's going to make them new. And Jesus is excited to see his friends again. Just as he told you, he finishes his statement. In other words, everything I said is true. And I just proved it. I remember going to a forgotten place. It was called El Cañon. It's a little hole in a valley outside of Managua where a young girl was. She was to become our daughter. And it would seem that life had forgotten her did not know where her parents were. Didn't even have a birth certificate. 
Didn't even exist, if you will, on the rolls. Though there were some very wonderful women who cared for her. In the eyes of the world, she had no value whatsoever. But God did not forget our daughter. And God called us to go and seek and find and bring. And so we went to this country, into the valley, and found her and brought her out so that she could be with us and us with her, so that we could be together. See, that's what Jesus is doing here. I will not leave you as orphans. I won't leave you forgotten in your sin and shame. I will fulfill my promise to you. I'm coming back because I remember you even after I slipped the surly bonds of this earth. What's your relationship with Jesus like? He's far and distant. He doesn't know who I am. I'm just one of the people in the pews that kind of shuffles in. It's not a mistake that you're here today. When Christ died, he died for every single person that he came to save. Your name, Christian, was on his mind. Have you recognized that Christ came for you to save you, to bring you from the darkness into the light? Christ has moved the stone. This is the greatest achievement of humanity. This is what changes everyone. This is what has the power to move you from death to life, from death to immortality, from fear to love, from resignation to expectation. Nothing can ever be the same. So do not choose simply to remember him. Choose to encounter him. He is risen. His spirit is here. And one day, at the sound of the trumpet, he will descend with his army of angels and he will make all things new. Choose not to remember him, but to worship him. He is king. And it is the only way that we can know him as savior and king. And finally, choose to be remembered. Stop hiding. He knew that you would fail. He knows that you do fail. But it's not about us in the end. It's about him. His grace is sufficient. And he will perfect us. That is the wonder and beauty of Easter. The resurrection that changes everything. So choose to live not in the darkness of death, but in the light of the resurrection. Let's pray. What a beautiful day. It was and it is. Christ is risen. Alleluia. And as such, all of us who believe and receive him as Lord and Savior, our sins are washed away. His grace is sufficient. The stone cannot hold the people of God. Our hope is in you, Jesus. I pray for everyone listening today that they would not leave without having bended their knee to the lion and the lamb 
the one who moved the stone and made a way. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Praise for the resurrection of Jesus Christ on this day. Uh, we do that also in our giving, our returning to God um, from the blessings and all of the things that he has given us, something to him in recognition that without him we're nothing. So we have that opportunity now to uh, worship our God through our giving. Uh, we have, probably have some visitors here. If the Lord's leading you to, to make an offering, that's fine, but don't feel compelled in any way to do that. Before we take up our offering, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you in our Savior's name that we who believe and by faith have concurred with the work of Christ on the cross and who have been identified with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. We, O oh Lord, give you thanks and praise that up from the grave he arose and in the most real sense in life, up from the grave we arose with him. So we give you praise, Lord. We give you thanks. And we pray, Lord, that you will take what we offer this day and use it uh, to help redeem a Presbyterian proclaim the gospel in every way, shape, and form that you would have us do. Multiply our resources, Lord, to meet the need. We pray for this in the name of our Savior. Amen.